0: And a warm welcome to The Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today I'm I'm just... This is going to be like one of these really super interesting days uh, filled with professors from the University of Northwestern. I thought I'd throw that in. Um, But today I've got Dr. Randy Nelson with me, and he's the professor of New Testament studies right here at the University of Northwestern. And this conversation we're going to have today is not political in any way, um, and we have no agenda. But he did come across a fascinating study uh and i'll let him set it up because uh it all started because you made friends with a, an african american guy who rode motorcycles
1: yeah, back 2015 and we went to uh christian motorcycle association rally in Gillette Wyoming uh we ended up rooming together and when you room with somebody you get to know them yes, at, you do. At, a, at a different level uh i i heard him talk about racial reconciliation a number of times really didn't wasn't a blip on my radar, uh, but then, you know, as we roomed and we talked, uh, more personally, I, I, became interested in it and I kind of began my quest to try to figure it out as best I could. And mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm a student of the topic. Uh, I, I think you need twenty five, thirty thousand 30,000 hours to be an expert. Probably got about a thousand hours into this. Okay. So I'm, I'm still a rookie, uh, but, uh, I think I've got a few things figured out.
0: Yeah. So r- remind the audience what uh, today's Conversation is going to be about, and the fact you don't have an agenda, and this is not political.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I I've studied this just to understand. I'm I'm not coming in with an axe to grind. Uh, I, I don't have a, a political agenda. I'm not trying to persuade people on a particular view, but I'm really trying to understand difference. Uh, why? Well, I, I guess two questions. Why is there similarity? Uh, between what I see is the evangelical church was uh, is predominantly white, uh, and the black church. Um, why do we have so so much uh, theology in common, uh, and then why is there such a political divide? I think that was eye opening for me because i didn 't realize how far the divide was uh, until I, I, I got into my studies and, and I realized that we really are on opposite ends of the political uh, continuum
0: mm-hmm. and maybe Randy, we could start uh, with a very famous passage by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
1: Yeah, so he said the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. He said this back in 1963, uh, and it's still, uh, true today. I, I think it's less than 14% of, uh, church of the, uh, churches of the United States are considered multi-ethnic. Uh, about 14%. Uh, so the vast majority of us are, are, are segregated. Uh, uh, we've got our white churches, we've got our black churches, white evangelical churches, white mainline churches, and then we've got our historical black churches. Uh, And there's not a lot of mixture in between. How do we mix for those churches that do mix? How do we do mix? Do we do it well? Uh, There are some pastors that are intentional. Uh, I I went on a uh, Sankofa trip, uh, they called it. Uh, This was put together by... Transform Minnesota, uh, and, and they take you on a bus, uh, down to the South, uh, you go to Georgia, Alabama, uh, Tennessee, and Mississippi, and you go to a variety of civil rights sites. Uh, and they pair you with, uh, if you're white, they pair you with an African American, and so you room together, you experience these things together, and you talk through issues. What I found afterwards is a lot of these pastors kept in contact with each other, and they did um, uh, pulpit switches, you know. So the the white pastor go to the black church, the cool. black pastor go to the white church, and then they would they would have some icebreakers between the groups. So I think there are some. Uh, pastors that are being intentional and in trying to bridge that racial divide. Mm-hmm. And you, Randy, have
0: put about a thousand hours into this research, and I know you've presented some of the material, uh, that we're gonna talk about today, uh, before, uh, so I would love to, uh, to jump in some of the, uh, theological differences that we find, uh, between white evangelicals and black progressives here in the U.S.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, so the first question is, why is there similarity? And I- if you look at, The historical black church, you look at evangelical churches, we line up. Our doctrinal statements are are almost the same. Uh, If you look at the frequency with which we attend church and you compare that with the white Protestants, we're almost the same. The frequency with which we read scripture, the frequency with which we uh, pray to God, how important faith is to our daily walk, white evangelicals and black Protestants are on the same page. Mm -hmm. And, And my conclusion at the end of that is we study the same Bible and we worship the same Lord Jesus. Uh, And so we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, a lot of the authors that I've read said that uh, the historical black church and, and white evangelical church, have more in common than any other religion in America. And, and I believe that would be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of similarity. So how did that happen? Uh, if you go back in history, uh, you take a look at the Second uh, uh, Great Awakening, uh, you see there's a tremendous outreach to uh, enslaved people in the South. Uh, and they're very responsive to these uh revivalistic outreaches uh, sometimes these were brought to the plantation sometimes the uh enslaved people were brought to the revivalistic meetings and they got saved by the thousands wow uh and and they began to play a role in actually helping to lead some of these revivals uh, some of them became pastors uh because of this experience uh and so we have the same roots uh in the second great awakening uh And, and to be honest, uh, at the beginning, there seemed to be racial unity. Uh, and, and there have been a couple of times in American history where that's happened. Unfortunately, it's been Mm short-lived. Uh, and so, uh, racial, uh, issues raise their, uh, their, their ugly heads. Uh, some of the white church wanted to be segregated, and so they would relegate uh, blacks uh, to different parts of the church, but they'd have to be segregated from the whites, and it's just kind of a, a bad history. Uh, and if you look at the black church, the black church played a role in the life of black people that the white church has never played for white people. For example, uh, if I'm having financial difficulties, I'm probably going to go to family members. What do you do if your family members don't have money? Mm-hmm. What black people did is they went to the church. Uh, what if you needed a job? Uh, what you, what if you needed healthcare? Uh, what if you needed education? Where would you go? Well, I, the church doesn't come to mind as a white person to me. It does for black people and historically it has played a very significant role. Uh, same thing with, um, uh, segregation, same thing with discrimination, all those things. The black church helped black people to face with dignity and really became an advocate for the black, uh, people in a way that I've never had to consider as a white person. Uh, In fact, if you look at white evangelicals, especially late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, their primary uh, concern is modernism. They're not concerned about racism. They're not concerned about uh, social inequity. A racial inequity. Uh, they're concerned about modernism and the influence of modernism on their schools, their colleges, their seminaries, and their denominations. Uh, and in probably the 1920s to 1940s, you see a lot of splits, denominational splits along those lines, modernist, fundamentalist splits. And so it's much more of an academic or maybe scholarly uh, Uh, issue for white evangelicals it truly wasn't racial issues that they were primarily concerned
0: about. Mm -hmm. Dr. Randy Nelson is my guest he's the professor of New Testament studies here at the University of Northwestern and this was a personal project he took on uh, starting in 2015 Randy when you started doing your research on on some of the differences uh, between black progressives and white evangelicals what were some of the questions that came into your head that you wanted to answer?
1: So, um, the 2016 election. Uh, so this is right at the beginning of my research. So 2015 is when I, when I became interested in 2016. Uh, the election just, uh, blew me away and, and it really was a watershed event. It didn't cause the rift. Uh, but here are some statistics that, that maybe a lot of your listeners know. Uh, 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, which you may not know and which surprised me. 96% of black Protestants voted for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. That's not a little bit of difference. That's a pretty huge difference. So that was my second question. So the first question I was able to answer, how come we have so much in common? Well, we have these this same roots in the Second Great Awakening. How do we have so much difference? And again, it's not a little bit of different politi- uh, difference, political difference. It's a huge gap. Again, 81% voting for Donald Trump. voting for Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that happen? How do we end up in those uh, very different places? Uh, We study the same Bible. We worship the same Lord Jesus, have a lot of theology in common, a lot of practices in common, and yet we come to very different conclusions when it comes to political affiliation. That was my second question. Mm -hmm. Ready for the answer? (laughs) Yeah, I am. (laughs) I am. I'm not budging right now. All right, so... I, I think there are a variety of factors. I think there's the historical factor. Uh, I, I think that uh, from the Second Great Awakening on, there are different historical trajectories uh the the black church is dealing with really practical uh, racial issues issues of of justice and dignity and the white church is dealing with uh more academic uh, type questions uh, scholarship uh, modernism liberalism and it's wrestling with those kinds of things and so they really start in the same place but they go in different directions different trajectories historically i think the other thing is different life experiences uh, if you look at surveys, uh, most black people in this country uh, experience and see discrimination at a level that most white, especially white evangelicals, don't see or they don't acknowledge. Um, and, and there's still a lot of disparities, and you know this to be true: disparities in income, housing, uh, insurance, and even life expectancy. So we have these uh, disparities. Uh, you have different perceptions of these uh, disparities. Okay, so first you've got different historical trajectories. Uh, second, you have different life experiences. And the one that I've really focused on is the third area that that maybe helps to explain this polit- political differences. Uh, and these are the theological differences. So I've already said that there's a, a lot of similarity. Uh, between the historical black church and white evangelicals. A lot of similarity, a lot of overlap, but we do have our um, uh, our differences, and we emphasize different things, and I think it leads us to different political conclusions. That's so interesting. Let me take a break. We come back, and I think there's lots
0: more to fill in on this topic, and I think you're ready to do it. Dr. Randy Nelson is my guest. We're uh, talking about his research, a thousand hours worth of looking into uh, the differences between uh blacks and whites in America and um, churches and some of the divide and disunity. And this topic is not political at all. Just so you know, we're just reporting findings and we're we're leaving politics out of this, just so you know. But we'll take a short break and be right back. If you have a question or comment, you're certainly welcome to text it over 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of the Afternoon Show. If you're like me, and I know I am, you're going to get tired on occasion. Sometimes you're emotionally tired. Sometimes you're spiritually tired. And if you're struggling or you've had disappointment, I want you to know that uh, Susie Larson has written a brand new book uh, to take you on a journey to explore God's invitation to flourish and to heal and to know peace that will hopefully change your life forever. Text the word GOOD to 877 and Susie will wake you up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. <laughs> it's happy. I like it. <laughs> Interesting bumper music, Rosie. I know. We're finding all sorts of new universal music. I know. It's kind of happy. It's kind of... Kind of light and airy. Light and airy. We could balance this conversation. Yeah, this is not a light and airy conversation. We're talking to Dr. Randy Nelson about theological emphasis of black progressives and white evangelicals in the U.S. Now, Randy, from a cultural perspective, there are different uh, takes uh, between blacks and whites. Maybe you would discuss that.
1: Sure. Um, And and I I think... As Christians, we try to be informed by Scripture when we think about social and political issues, and I think that's true on, on both sides. Uh, what what I did find in my research is that, that blacks tend to be more collectivist in their perspective. Uh, they're more concerned about uh, group responsibility, inter- interdependence between people, uh, and pursuing the common good. Uh, whites, and especially white evangelicals, are much more individualistic. Uh, they're interested in autonomy. Uh, they're interested in independence. They emphasize uh, personal freedom, and so you have two very different cultural perspectives living in the same country, uh, and uh, it's it's kind of hard to come together when you when you have these two different perspectives. And, and of course, it has implications for how you think politics should be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told this
0: story a couple weeks ago, so I, I hate to repeat it, but it's so pertinent to this conversation. I was at the Reverend E.V. Hills Church in Watts. You know Reverend E.V. Hills? No, absolutely. Yeah, amazing, amazing pastor. I was there 30 years ago, and the service started at 10. I think it, I think it ended around quarter to two. I mean, it was like three hours and a, three and a half hours, <laughs> and I didn't want it to end. But you know, at, there was a, por- a portion of the service where he said, "All right, I, we've got some needs here in the congregation. They need to get met." Uh, Now, Mrs. Johnson, she's got a muffler that's gone bad. Are there any uh, mechanics here that could fix it for free or uh, anybody have a muffler shop? Uh, If not, we need to raise some money. Uh, Who will uh, make a contribution for her muffler repair? I need a couple of people that can come in for
1: $20. And You see half a dozen people raise their hands. It was incredible. They were just meeting needs. That's awesome. I've been uh, in evangelical churches for over 40 years, and I've never seen that happen. Yeah. It was impressive. Yeah. It was very heartwarming. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and I think historically the black church has, has played that role on the lives of black people. And, and, uh, it's really been the, the center, uh, that, that's pulled together the black community in a lot of ways. And it's, it's been a, a spokesperson, a, uh, an advocate, uh, for black people in this country. Mm-hmm. in A lot of ways. All right. What about when it comes to biblical interpretation?
0: How are blacks and, and whites different? Cause we're both reading the same scripture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, our, our theology is based upon our interpretation of Scripture. Again, we're going to the same book. We're mining the same book for nuggets, right? And we're trying to uh, identify truth in there. Uh, and what I found is is those in the black church, and so the black church, by the way, is diverse. It, it, there, There's not a... A monolithic black church. You've got kind of the traditional black church. You've got the black church that's maybe more sympathetic to the social gospel, the black church that's more sympathetic to black liberation. And then there's a growing segment within the black church that is the prosperity gospel, which really surprises me in a lot of ways. I'm not quite sure why that is, but those are kind of the four strands of of the black church. But uh, when it comes to biblical interpretation, um, and and I teach a class on hermeneutics both at the undergraduate level, level and and the graduate level at Northwestern uh and Evangelicals try to be very objective when they interpret Scripture. They're looking for the author's intended meaning. They believe there's a single meaning. Uh, they don't believe that they, they can be completely objective and neutral, but they they try to their best of ability to do that and and uh, come up with this objective meaning. What I found in the Black Church is a it's a very different approach. It's it's much more uh, subjective approach. Isaiah uh, Macaulay has written a, a book recently called Reading While Black. Uh, and he talks about uh, black interpretation in the black church has been influenced by their life experience in the United States, and part of that was through slavery, uh, and then segregation. Uh, and during segregation, there were lynchings, uh, and so that um, was emblazoned in their their minds, uh, and it became a part of who they were. It became a part of their identity, uh, and they didn't want to separate that from their approach to scripture. So their life experience became the interpretive grid through which they interpreted Scripture. And so they identified with certain Scriptures more than other Scriptures. For example, uh, you and I read the account of the Exodus, and we go, that's historically interesting what God did for the nation of Israel, leading it out of Egypt and bringing them into the Promised Land. For African Americans, uh, uh, beginning with slavery, uh, they saw this as a hope. Uh, they saw this as a road map for what God plans to do to all enslaved people. Mm. Uh, it wasn't just an isolated historical event. Uh, it was a paradigm uh, through which they were going to read the rest of the Bible. Uh, so a, a much more of a, a subjective, experiential approach to interpreting Scripture, open to the possibility that there are multiple meanings, uh, but that God has a word for them uh, and their community uh, based upon their life experiences. God is going to meet them where they're at uh, in Scripture uh, We're again white evangelicals are, are looking for this objective account uh, trying to understand the cultural perspective of the author and trying to set aside their own cultural perspective to the best of their ability and nobody can get out of their own skin so we all come with our biases and our perspectives but. They try. Uh, they try to be as subjective as possible. So that's different starting places. Come to the same scripture, uh, have uh, two very different starting places. And so when I taught on this in my church, uh, the question comes up: Well, you know, uh, Dr. Nelson, can you give an example of that? And I said, Well, sure. Uh, classic example is. Well, let, Luke... let me say that, Randy, because I'm the interviewer. Okay. Uh, Dr. Nelson, can you give me an example? Sure, Bill. I'd love to give you an example. Awesome. <laughs> So, uh Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19. So, this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's in the synagogue of Nazareth, his hometown, on the Sabbath, which was his modus operandi. This is what he does. He gets up, he preaches from the scroll of Isaiah, uh, chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, and as you know from the story, Jesus sits down, everybody's, is down, everybody is gazed upon him, and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. Okay, so where's the difference in an interpretation of this passage? It's this phrase, to set the oppressed free. What does that mean? Who, yeah, who are what does the that oppressed mean? that Jesus is setting free? So Robert Stein was one of my professors at Bethel Seminary. He wrote a commentary on Luke. Here's what he says. Uh, this is to be understood metaphorically. Or it may, whereas it may include healings and exorcism, freedom always refers to the forgiveness of sins elsewhere in Luke and Acts. To release the oppressed, the same word translated, released here, is translated freedom earlier in the verse. It is probably best to understand this metaphorically as standing in synonymous parallelism with the previous statement. So I, I can give you one evangelical commentary after another. They're all going to agree that that passage about the oppressed being set free should be interpreted metaphorically. It's referring to spiritual realities, freedom from sin, freedom from demonic oppression. How do African-Americans interpret that passage? So I've got a commentary uh, called the uh, True to Our Native Land, an African-American New Testament commentary. Uh, Stephanie uh, uh, buchanan Crower wrote the commentary on the Gospel of Luke. Here's what she says. Jesus comes to bring spiritual release and political, physical, and social refuge to those on the margins. Tony Evans, and I'm sure you're familiar with his name. I am. He's got a commentary. Here's what he says. Thus, spiritual transformation is the foundation for the legitimate social, political, and economic restructuring of society. Jesus' preaching then addresses both the content of the gospel uh, and the scope of the gospel. Uh, the impact this good news should make on issues of biblical justice, the equitable and impartial application of God's moral law in society. So again, we have two different hermeneutics, uh, one that's more subjective, experiential, and one that tries to be more objective and neutral, uh, and one that sees Luke chapter 4 uh, as metaphorical, mm. that it's not referring to physical realities. Uh, Aeneid Black say, you know what, based on my experience, I think the captives Jesus is setting free are those who are marginalized and oppressed in society. And, and they're talking here about social oppression, talking about financial oppression or economic oppression.
0: It's so interesting, uh, Randy. Randy Nelson is my guest. He is a New Testament professor here. And this, Would you call this a, a pet project of yours?
1: This yeah, is a cycle for you, wasn't it? It's, it's become a hobby. It's, it's become a passion. Um, and, uh, I, I, I love talking to people about it because I do think there's a lot of confusion and I think there's a lot of frustration. You know, we get frustrated about what we, what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, it's become an important issue for me and it's, it's provided, um, a helpful grid for me to understand some of the things, the media bites that are on TV. It, it gives me, Kind of a perspective to to maybe wade wade through some of their comments a little mm-hmm.
0: bit. Yeah, that's yeah. very helpful. All right, when we come back, uh, Randy, I want to ask you about uh, sin. Sin is the next topic. I think we're going to look at through the lens of the Black progressives and how they see sin and the White evangelicals. So, uh, if you have question or comment, the text line is open eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Dr. Randy Nelson is my guest. He's a professor of New Testament studies right here at the University of Northwestern. We'll take a short break and be right back.
1: You think this is helpful?
0: if you just joined me thank you for tuning in thank you uh for listening to faith radio and i'm hoping you had a great day today i'm talking to dr randy nelson and he's got a sort of a hobby pet project on looking at the uh, theological emphasis of black progressives versus white evangelicals in the u.s and dr martin luther king said many years ago in the 60s that the most divisive time in our country is 11 o'clock sunday morning so we're well, we're having still having issues today with unity here in the church. So, uh, Randy, maybe we could talk about the way in which a Black uh, and whites view sin.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a really important question. Um, let, let me talk uh, first how white evangelicals uh, view sin, and uh, I, I teach systematic theology at Northwestern, and so this is something that I'm familiar with. So, there's an emphasis amongst uh, white evangelicals on, on personal sin. Uh, individual acts of uh, disobedience uh, as a result of Adam's rebellion in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, we're now alienated from our Creator. Uh, our uh, entire human nature has been infected by sin. Uh, some theologians refer to this as uh, total depravity. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 2 talks about how we are spiritually dead, uh and we're in need of forgiveness from God, we're in need of reconciliation from God, we need a new birth, we need to be born again and then and only then we're we adopted into God's family. Uh prior to that, humans are essentially evil. So it 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 paints a pretty negative view of the human condition. Uh the black church isn't quite as negative on on the human condition. Uh they do acknowledge uh, personal sin. Uh they also talk about this idea of social sin. Uh, that sin isn't something just that individuals do, but sin infects systems and structures. Um, and uh, so you think about uh, the government, the media, uh, marriages, different institutions in this country, those things are just as infected uh, by sin as are individuals. Uh, they also have this notion of collective sin, uh, that sin is not something that an individual is responsible for, but if they identify with a particular group, uh, and that group has been involved in sin, they too are accountable for that sin. Uh, I think what was interesting to me, uh, and I, I had come across this phrase before, but I, I was surprised. The African Methodist Episcopal Church uh, has as one of their doctrinal statements, God our Father, Christ our Redeemer, the Holy Spirit our Comforter, humankind our family. And so they don't see the same uh, rift, uh, division, uh, alienation between God and Creator and humans, uh, humans still are children of God. Uh, they're wayward children, uh, and so they need to return to their Father, but they don't typically use, uh, terms like spiritually dead. Uh, they surely don't refer to, uh, humans apart from God as children of Satan. Uh, This is language that uh, evangelical theologians use when they talk about unbelievers. They're children of Satan. They're doing Satan's will. Uh, I don't see that in in the black church. Uh, Humans are basically good. Uh, They need restoration uh, to their heavenly father, kind of like the prodigal son uh, has gone off and he's come back and he's embraced by his heavenly father. Uh, But sin on the individual level is not as Deadly uh, are as pervasive within the individual uh, as it is in uh, white evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. So, if you got invited to go preach at that black church, what would you say? Yeah, uh it, it, I probably wouldn't talk about sin. Or I probably want to talk about some of these things. You know, there are so many things that we agree about. So the things we're talking about today Bill are things that are our differences uh it comes to the Bible as the word of God. Yeah, we we agree on that. Uh when it comes to Jesus as a son of God, yeah, they believe that Jesus was the incarnate son of God. When it comes to his atoning death on the cross, yeah, we agree upon that. So I'd probably focus on the yeah. things that we agree upon rather than the things we disagree upon. Okay, but humans are still born as children
0: of God. We're we're born in the image of God, but we're not really adopted into the family of God until we are born again, according to John 1.12. This says a white evangelical Christian. This a white evangelical Christian who <laughs> largely owes <laughs> <also. laughs>
1: right. a show on faith radio. All right. So, uh, again, <laughs> I, I, I'm... I, and I get to ask this all the time. Well, who's right, Randy? Uh, that's not my job. My okay. my job is is to clarify the differences because I think right now there's so much misunderstanding and confusion. Uh, this is the place we start. Now we can we're, eventually we're going to have to get around to have these conversations about who's right, who's wrong, is there a mediating position? We're going to have to have those conversations, but initially. Let's clarify where we agree and where we disagree, and yeah. then we can have those deeper conversations.
0: Don't we just look through a biblical lens, n- not white or black, but just biblical, and we come to conclusions based <laughs> on that, or or, or, or am I, I being crazy here?
1: Well, I wish it was that simple, because I, I think uh, when I read black authors, they would say they're looking at these theological issues through a biblical lens. When I read white evangelical authors, they would say they're looking at this through a biblical lens. So they're arriving at different theologies based upon Scripture, albeit different interpretations of Scripture, okay. because they use different methods of interpretation. Okay. So,
0: it's, it seems some of these are yes and, and some of them are really opposed, when I think of this. Um, I see sin uh, in systematic systems all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, sin's everywhere, so it's going to infect systems. People um, people make up systems, Right. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Sinful people aren't going to create pure systems. That's, yeah. that's naive to say that. Yeah, where humans are basically good from the black perspective.
1: i struggle with that one. Uh, and, and I do, too. I I, I do. Uh, you know, uh, my wife likes to watch true crime, and so we watch murder and mayhem every night, and I'm reminded of the human condition, and uh, it's not pretty. But there are people out there, uh, unbelievers, who are doing really good things. Uh, they don't necessarily love the Lord, uh, but they're not as bad as they could be. So, uh, yeah, I I do wrestle with that. There, I think you're right. I think some of these are both and. You can kind of hold both views. Some of them are really opposites. Are humans basically good? Or are they essentially evil? Those, How do you find a middle ground on that? I'm not sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, cut my cable about four months ago, so I'm not watching TV anymore for right now, but when I was watching TV, Randy, it seemed like everyone who was buying a car was an interracial couple. <laughs> They're the only people that buy cars are interracial couples.
1: Yeah. And uh, I went to a multi-ethnic church in North Minneapolis for about a year. Uh, and, uh, there, I saw more, um, interracial couples there than I, than I have anywhere else. There aren't a lot of them. Uh, there are interracial couples that are white and other races, but whites and blacks, there's not a lot of intermarriage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you knew this but Brazil had a greater import of slaves during the transatlantic uh, uh, slave trade than did North America. I know that. Uh it, it, but they they have intermarried. Uh, browns and blacks have intermarried and so they don't have the the same racial divide that we have here in North America.
0: Mhm.
1: Well, a listener chimed in with the same exact sentiment and wanted
0: to know about the TV commercials and The question is, what is the basis for this change, and what does the African-American population have to say, if anything, about this move?
1: What do you hear from black friends? Do they go, it seems (laughs) odd? I I haven't read or talked to uh, black friends about uh, uh, TV commercials, so I'm not... uh, I can't speak on that, sorry. You know, as a professor
0: of New Testament <laughs> studies, I would think you'd sit around often and talk about TV commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I have you all wrong, Randy. So it I had, apologize. Sorry, Bill, yeah. disappointed you again, but well, once uh, again. it hasn't come up. Okay, well, there you uh, go. Let's move on back to the kingdom of God. How do black progressives and white evangelicals see the kingdom of God in this uh, analysis you've done?
1: So so everybody recognizes that Jesus talked more about God's kingdom than anything else. He, yes. he truly did. He, he talked about love, love God, love neighbor, even love your enemies. So love is an important part of Jesus' ethic, but it was a kingdom ethic. Uh, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, those are kingdom ethics that are laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus used a variety of literary forms. He used parables, puns, similes, metaphors, hyperboles, overstatements, paradoxes, the list goes on. His favorite literary form, our figure of speech, was a parable. His parables are illustrations of God's kingdom. How do I know this? Because he prefaces many of them with this phrase, the kingdom of God is like. And then he tells the parable. Right. It's not about how to be a better farmer, how to have a better vineyard, how to throw a really killer wedding banquet. Uh, They're illustrations of God's kingdom. And so everybody agrees. More than anything else, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. But what is that kingdom? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Uh, is it something that we can experience now? Is it something that we experience personally? Is it something we experience socially? Is it something we look forward to in the future? So here's where most white evangelicals land on this. And I would imagine that a lot of your listeners have probably heard their pastor talk about the already but not yet view of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is already here but not yet in all of its fullness, all of its grandeur. That's going to happen when Christ's return. What can we experience now of god's kingdom well we can experience transformation uh, we can experience uh submitting to god's will and being a part of his kingdom uh on, on a spiritual individual level right now uh we expect god's kingdom to come in its fullness when christ returns uh there's going to be a thousand year reign on earth and christ is going to establish his kingdom there before then uh, between christ's first coming and second coming most white evangelicals adopt an apocalyptic worldview uh, think about Mark chapter 13, it's called the Little Apocalypse. You think about the book of Revelation, it's called the Big Apocalypse. Uh, it looks like things are going to get bad, especially for us as believers. They're not going to get better and better every day in every way. And you say, well, don't black Protestants hold the same view? They don't. Uh, for them, the kingdom of God is a present reality, uh not, not if, it's something we look forward to in the future, but something we can experience in its fullness now, uh, and it's more of a social reality than an individual reality. Again, this kind of goes back to their collectivist perspective. Uh, they believe that the kingdom of God, to a degree, can be established before Christ's return. Okay, That uh, we Christians can work with non-Christians and create a society of, of peace and justice, or maybe more peace and justice, a little bit more utopic in its outlook. Uh, you probably heard this phrase by Martin Luther King Jr. called the Beloved Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him, the Beloved Community approximates God's kingdom. So we can work with unbelievers in the United States and create a more just and uh, peaceful society uh, than we have now. Uh, and that's a possibility uh, that God enables us to do that through his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So very different views. Are we optimistic about the future? Are we pessimistic about the future do we have an apocalyptic worldview or do we have more of a uh, utopic uh, worldview when it comes to the the kingdom of god very different views mm-hmm. and yep. again maybe there's a both and a middle ground or maybe they're really uh, opposite ends of the continuum well i would think that there would almost have to be
0: uh, a middle ground because how else would blacks and whites be worshiping worshiping together if they had such diverse views on this
1: yeah, yeah. That's that's a great question. Uh we do worship together, uh but we also uh vote differently, uh and we disagree a lot about politics. Uh and we're gonna get into this in a little bit. Uh, the the um, the ministry of the church, uh that's a huge one that we disagree on. Uh and there are a lot of throw uh stones being thrown across the chasm between these two groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Well let's take one more
0: break, Dr. Randy Nelson is my guest. This turned out to be a pet project for him. He did a a sabbatical on this and has put about a thousand hours into studying. And uh, he's presenting uh, today with us the theological emphasis of black progressives and white evangelicals in the United States. Uh, We have no political agenda today. There's no ax to grind. There's nothing. This is just, he's presenting information. And so if you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear from you. You can text 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back. When you sponsor a child in need, you change their life. Your child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that he has special plans for their life. Your child gets help with school and is taught leadership, life skills, and how to overcome poverty and succeed. Your child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that often saves lives. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids, find your child at myfaithradio.com. Dr. Randy Nelson is my guest. We're discussing today the theological emphasis of black progressives and white evangelicals. And being the astute uh, radio interviewer I am, Randy, I've gone 47 minutes and not even asked you uh, for definition of what a progressive is. So maybe we should start there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm th- using that term a lot today, so help me. Help yes, me understand uh,
1: that. And we use the term a lot. So um, let me start out by saying theologically, what I found is the black church is theologically conservative. And by conservative, I mean traditionalist, orthodox in their beliefs. Uh, white evangelicals are also uh theologically conservative. Where we differ is on politics. Uh, And I have this book called Compassion and Conviction, and I thought the authors did a really good job just developing some nomenclature on how to distinguish these two terms. So I'll I'll give you their definitions, and I find it to be helpful. So when it comes to politics, progressivism often focuses on changing systems and institutions and challenging old assumptions that hurt marginalized groups such as racial minorities, women, and the poor. Mm -hmm. So that's the definition of progressivism, and I'd agree with that. Mm -hmm. So here's the definition of conservatism. Conservatism, on the other hand, often focuses on preserving social order and maximizing individual and economic freedom by limiting the role of government. So are you in favor of big government? You're probably going to be progressive. Or are you in favor of smaller government? You're probably be conservative politically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I
0: listen to those two descriptions and I say yes to both. <laughs> right? You can't put Jesus in any political bucket.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah but but we, we, uh, we do politically when it comes to our voting record. Oh, I know. Yeah, uh, we, we vote uh, here's another, another survey I came across. A survey asked, smaller government with fewer services. Uh, white evangelicals, 60% said yes, amen. Only 23% of black Protestants agree with that. Bigger government with more services. Boy, only 30% of white evangelicals like that. 70% of black Protestants agreed with that. Okay. Big government, small government. Wow. Hmm. All right, let's talk uh, more
0: about um, Christ and culture. What a crazy world we're living in right now.
1: It, it is. And so the question is, how how do we live in the between times, between Christ's mm-hmm. first coming and his second coming? Uh, H. Richard Niebuhr wrote a book back in 1951 called Christ and Culture. He identified uh, five different models that he discovered looking at church history and how the church has related to its cultural context. I'll just give you a, a couple of examples. The antithetical model is Christ against culture. Uh, these are the Amish, and some days I kind of would like to be amish i'd have to give my smartphone to do that but but they see culture as inherently evil uh and so not to be corrupted by it they withdraw from culture another model is called the accommodationist model this is referred to as christ of culture by niebuhr uh and this is where culture is inherently good uh, and sometimes the bible needs to be updated so culture really sets the pace for our theology and our ethics uh, uh, more so than scripture. Uh, a lot of mainly churches have adopted this view. Uh, most evangelicals, a lot of evangelicals, let me put it that way, and the uh, black church, uh, hold to the transformationist model where we have some responsibility as Christians to transform our culture for Christ. The question is, how do you do that? For white evangelicals, for the most part, they would say that we do this one person at a time. Uh, the more people that come to faith in Christ and become involved in politics or other roles in leadership, uh, the better our society is going to become. Uh, what I find in the black church is they're uh, more interested in a, a top-down approach. Uh, and so politics is the way that we transform society and make it more Christian or maybe holding to Christian values and uh, ethics. Uh what I find when it comes to white evangelicals is they're not really optimistic about this transformation taking place. We're going to do it. Uh, we love our neighbor. Uh, we're going to evangelize. And as they come saved, we're going to improve society. But uh, before Christ returns, it's probably not going to get much better. Uh, where I see in the black church a much more optimistic view. Uh, that a, a top down approach to tran- transformation can really improve our conditions and and bring about more justice and peace in our society mm-hmm. You had talked about not wanting to give up your smartphone and
0: become Amish, but one of the things I do love about the Amish people is they live lives so distinctively different from everybody else. Now, do Christians live lives distinctively different from the lost in this world?
1: Uh. That's a, that's a great question. And, and sometimes we look just like everybody else. And, and according to the combinationist model, we should. Uh, and, and I would say, I think that's mistaken. How, how can you be salt and light if you look and act like everybody else? So there needs to be something distinctive about us, something unique. Mm,
0: uh, do you, I don't know. How, how do we do that better?
1: <laughs> Follow Jesus, I guess. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's really easy to accommodate the culture. Everybody wants to fit in, uh, you know, and, and some people are, are more, Uh, compliant than others, uh, and uh, so we want to fit in, we want to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's, here's, uh, I know we're kind of running out of time, but in the workplace, what's the best indicator of a person's uh, ethical behavior? Uh, Is it the ethical climate of the business, or is it their personal ethical commitment? Statistically, it's the corporate climate that determines somebody's moral behavior. Really? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, you want to believe as a Christian, man, I'm gonna go into whatever business it is and I'm gonna make them better ethically. Probably not. Wow. Ethics flows from the top down when it comes to the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Uh the the topic, and you know, we're gonna to get to the next topic here, is the one that I'm really interested in. This Let's is the get one that the rubber meets the road. Yeah. So go ahead and ask the question. Well
0: it it's about <laughs> it's about the, the church mission and, and the ministry, the difference between uh blacks and whites.
1: And this is huge. So uh, almost every systematic theology book that I've read would say that the church has a fivefold mission. Uh, no, not every church just does does each one of these equally well, uh, but they should be doing all of them. So worshiping God your church isn't worshiping God. Yeah. You're not doing church, uh, fellowship koinonia. Yeah. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of God's forever family. We need to be uh, getting along, uh, discipleship growing in our faith, uh, growing in our understanding of scripture, our relationship with God. Discipleship is important. Uh, evangelism, uh, every church really needs to be involved in evangelism. The fifth one is where we have some disagreement. So the fifth one is ministry. What does ministry look like in your church? Uh, for most white evangelical churches, ministry includes social inreach, uh, And so you have, you know, usually at our church when we have communion, we have a benevolent fund. Maybe other churches do. Uh, and we use that primarily for those that are within the church, but sometimes those who are outside the church. But social inreach is an important part of ministry. Uh, most uh, white evangelical churches would say, well, you know what? Social outreach is equally important. We're called to love our neighbor. Uh, we should be charitable. But when we give... Uh, we do it in the name of Christ. There's uh, kind of an evangelistic undertone in our helping of our, our fellow human. Uh, what I see in the black church is social outreach is more than that. Uh, social outreach, outreach is a way for us to improve the quality of life for people who are non-Christians. We do this out of love for neighbor. Uh, the other thing I see in the black church is social justice advocacy. Uh, political activism, uh, having a prophetic voice as a church. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I went to a multi-ethnic church in North Minneapolis. Uh, I heard more about politics from the pulp within 40 years in a white evangelical church. I wasn't I I was, was used to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in a black church, uh, it's much more common. What, what were your thoughts on that, Randy? What were my thoughts on that? Yeah. It was awkward. I, I, I don't know, Bill. I'm not. I, I, again, I don't want to make a judgment that it was right or wrong, they were used to that. Uh, they were comfortable with that. Okay. And again, if you look at the history of the black church, that was a role that they played that the, the white church hasn't played in the life of believers. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never heard a pastor tell me about talking about politics or policy issues from the pulpit. Maybe abortion, you know, a couple of times, yeah. but uh, other political issues, uh, not so much. So that was, that was different. So what role does the church have when it comes to politics uh most white evangelicals would say you know what some individual christians are called to politics and they should be involved in it uh, and they should advocate for the things that they think are right uh, but for the most part you should vote your individual conscience our, our primary concern this side of eternity is to get people to faith in christ they're truly lost uh, they need to be born again they need to be regenerated where i see in the black church um Uh, This idea of a prophetic voice, uh, the phrase that I come across a lot is speaking truth to power. Uh, And so from the pulpit, uh, we should be like the prophets of the Old Testament, like the prophet Amos, uh, and condemn social injustice. Uh, Our goal is not just the salvation of individuals, but the salvation of society, uh, the liberation of the oppressed. uh, Something I've never heard a a pastor talk about from uh, the white church. Mm Mm-hmm. So very, very different approach. Again, we agree on a lot as far as the mission of the church. Uh, where we disagree is how do you define ministry? What is the ministry of the church? Does it include social inreach? Yeah. Does it include social outreach? Yeah, probably for different reasons. Uh, does it include social justice advocacy? Most white evangelical churches would be feel uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. we just have
0: about a minute left, and. What I've been hearing for 30-plus years is the words racial reconciliation. What do you understand that to be?
1: Yeah, so racial reconciliation has had a couple of uh, stages that it's gone through. In the 60s, uh, it really was about uh calling white people to advocate for social justice during the 80s uh, the second wave of the ra- racial reconciliation movement was more individualistic uh, let's uh, agreed to uh, be friends uh, let's uh, you know we're brothers and sisters in Christ uh, promise keepers uh, uh, promoted this a lot and so there was individual uh, reconciliation getting along having black friends uh, if you were white and so forth this third wave of the reconciliation movement is going back to i think the the 60s where there's this call for if you're white Uh, and you're Christian, you need to join us. You need to join us in uh, social justice or racial justice advocacy. And for you to be reconciled with me, you need to participate with me in that kind of political activism. Mm, That's what they mean by racial reconciliation. Wow. That's that's different than what I thought. So thank you for that. Thank you for this research, and
0: and I feel like I've learned a lot in this hour. And uh, I I also uh, just appreciate you having such a nice balanced approach to this this had you again you had no axe to grind and there was no agenda and there were no political motives so thank you for presenting it the way you did thanks bill yeah dr randy nelson's been my guest and uh, he is a professor of new testament studies here at the university of northwestern we will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute